You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello everyone and welcome to History of the Second World War, episode 163, The Invasion of Norway, part 1, The Altmark Incident. This week, a big thank you goes out to Stephen, Edward, and Matthew for choosing to support the podcast by becoming members. You can find out more over at historyofthesecondworldwar.com slash members. The Second World War developed in ways that none of the belligerents expected when they entered the conflict. This included the invasion of Norway, which would occur in April 1940. Before the war, and then during the opening months of the war, German leaders did not plan to invade Norway, and in fact they believed that they should do everything in their power to keep Norway neutral. This was due to the fact that Norway and Norwegian territorial waters were an important conduit for Scandinavian goods to enter Germany. Norway also had tight ties to Britain, particularly around their economies, and Norway had the fourth largest merchant marine at this time in the world. These were ships that the British hoped to take advantage of by paying them to carry goods during the war years. This meant that both sides of the conflict wanted Norway to remain neutral. Britain and France did not initially plan on taking any actions that would cause Norway to abandon that neutrality, but this would begin to change due to the events of the Winter War in Finland. During that conflict, there were many discussions in London and Paris around what could be done to help the Finns in their fighting with the Soviet Union, which was, in 1939, an enemy, or seen as an enemy, of Britain and France. Many different options were investigated, but one that seemed to hold the most promise was to land troops at Narvik in Norway, and then send them across Norway and to Finland. This had the added benefit of putting the British and French in control of the pathway that Swedish iron ore used during the summer months, which involved the iron ore being taken from Sweden, moved to Narvik, and then put on a steamer to go down the Norwegian coast to Germany. This idea continued to be discussed even after the Winter War was winding down and then after it completed, due to the belief on the British and French side that Swedish iron ore was essential to the German war effort. While preparations for this operation were being made, they became known to Germany, and Hitler and the German military began planning for their own operation against Norway to prevent it from falling under direct British control. Capturing Norway would also provide more naval bases for the Kriegsmarine, which would make it easier for ships to get into the Atlantic, a purpose that would largely be superseded by the French ports after they fell into German hands, but all of these conversations were before the French invasion. If Germany wanted to invade and control all of Norway, 
It presented some interesting geographical problems because the nation was difficult to traverse on land, pushing the naval aspect of the invasion to a place of prominence. This resulted in an operational plan where multiple small groups of German forces would be landed at important areas throughout Norway, and then they would have to sort of hold onto some territory until all of the pockets could be unified by troops moving slowly up from the south. In an outcome that would become familiar during the early war campaigns, the swift and violent nature of the German plan would make it very challenging for the Norwegians to respond to, and even more difficult for British and French forces to arrive in time to make a meaningful difference during the fighting. Most major Norwegian population centers would fall in the opening hours of the invasion, but the Norwegian forces would continue to resist for months, far longer than expected. Their resistance on land and the actions of the Norwegian and Royal Navies at sea would make the invasion a costly venture for the Kriegsmarine, especially among the surface vessels of the German Navy, from which it would really never really recover. In February 1940, those costs were in the future, though, because the story of the invasion of Norway begins months before the actual invasion took place, and it happens with the reappearance in our story of the Altmark. The podcast last encountered the Altmark back in episode 157, when it parted ways with the Admiral Graf Spey in the South Atlantic for the last time. During the opening months of the war, the Altmark had been used as a supply ship for the Graf Spey, resupplying the German surface raider time and time again so that it could stay at sea for an extended period. Eventually, the Graf Spey was cornered at Montevideo and was eventually scuttled, and since that time, the German supply ship had been making a slow journey back to Germany. Importantly for the events of February 16th and 17th, 1940, was the fact that the Altmark was not just a supply ship, but had also become a prison ship. This is because, as the Graf Spey had attacked and destroyed merchant ships, the crews of those ships were brought on board the Graf Spey and then offloaded onto the Altmark. Eventually, there were 299 prisoners on board the Altmark, which were still on board as it made its way into the North Atlantic and then approached the coast of Norway. The Altmark's captain, Dow, was well aware that the Royal Navy would be hunting for the Altmark in any other similar ships, and that there would be British representatives in every single Norwegian port that would report the Altmark's presence as soon as they saw it. But he believed that if he could get into Norwegian territorial waters, in which he believed he would be safe from the Royal Navy, he would be able to make his way to the areas of the coast that were closer to Germany. It would maybe take him about 36 hours. And then he could make the dash to Germany, or to an area that could be protected by German forces, while it was dark which would hopefully prevent Royal Navy interception. Dow's plans were all built around specific timing windows, around how long he could stay in Norwegian territorial waters, distance he could traverse during that time, and then exactly when he could exit, and also how quickly the Royal Navy could respond to any sighting reports of the Altmark. And all of these timings would kind of end up going wrong right from the start. As the Altmark approached Norwegian waters, the ship was spotted by the Norwegian Coast Guard Station on February 14th. This was expected, and the Coast Guard Station then sent the standard report to the offices in Trondheim. A Norwegian vessel was then dispatched to approach the vessel and do the standard inspection that was done for all merchant ships that were entering Norwegian waters. This was all standard procedure during wartime because the belligerents were not allowed to send warships into Norwegian waters due to Norway's neutrality. After the Norwegian Coast Guard vessel came alongside, an officer was sent aboard to do the standard inspection, 
which would begin at around 2.25 p.m. Dow informed the Norwegian Coast Guard officer that the Altmark was making its way from Port Arthur in the United States to Germany with fuel oil as its contents. It had a crew of 133, and there were no passengers. A standard question was asked around armament, to which Dow replied that the ship had two anti-aircraft guns, but they had been stowed when the ship had entered Norwegian waters, just like they were supposed to. Hearing nothing that made him concerned, the inspector came to the conclusion that the Aldmark was probably just a very standard merchant ship that was following all of the required neutrality regulations and it could be sent on its way. After the inspection was complete, the report was sent to the Coast Guard office in Trondheim, but there were concerns that sort of surfaced in the mind of Rear Admiral Tank Nielsen in Trondheim. He believed that the inspection was not thorough enough, and not enough to ensure that Norwegian neutrality was being respected. This was very important because under the neutrality regulations, it was Norway's responsibility to ensure that none of the belligerents violated Norwegian neutrality, and the responsibility to ensure that those violations did not occur often trickled down to men like Rear Admiral Tank Nielsen, or even lower, a fact that will be critical to future events. These concerns would result in orders being dispatched that another inspection should occur the next morning with the goal of better understanding the nature of Altmark's armaments and to ensure that there were no naval personnel aboard. During the first inspection, the Altmark was also spotted by a British freighter moving north through the same waters, and the captain of that ship, Captain Harlock, informed the British naval control officer in Trondheim about the ship. This information was then, of course, immediately forwarded to London. The next morning, following orders from Trondheim, the Norwegian destroyer Garm went alongside the Altmark and another Coast Guard officer went on board. During discussions with Dow, it was explained that every room on the ship would have to be inspected, which was not something that Dow could allow to happen. Again, there's prisoners below decks. If such an inspection was completed, the prisoners would be discovered, and then the Altmark would be interned. But the Norwegians were clear that if Dow did not allow the inspection, then it would have to leave Norwegian territorial waters immediately. And if it wanted to continue on its way south, it would have to do so in international waters. The exact boundaries of Norwegian waters were pointed out on maps to Dow, and he was given information on the best way to proceed to avoid any possible danger areas. At the same time, the prisoners became aware that Norwegian officers were on the ship and did their absolute best to make as much noise as possible including using empty boxes as battering rams on the doors of their compartments. This noise was heard by the Norwegians, who did not do anything immediately. But they would make a report to Trondheim that they had heard something on board, and it seemed very likely that there were more than just the crew of the Altmark on the German ship. When all this information was sent up the chain, an order arrived that said that the Altmark should not be forced out of Norwegian waters, and instead the ship should simply be escorted south by Norwegian destroyers and sent on its way as quickly as possible. Dow was thrilled with this news, as it would allow the Altmark to move closer to German waters while still in Norwegian territorial waters, and it would also allow him to set the speed of the Altmark so that he could leave the protection of Norwegian waters at night for a quick dash back to Germany. The orders that allowed this to happen were really just an attempt to kind of avoid any kind of international incident. Neutrality patrols and the position of neutrals like Norway was always super challenging. It was a constant balancing act between the belligerents, both of which were frequently pushing boundaries in the hopes of gaining an advantage, and then complaining very loudly when other belligerents did the same thing. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. In the early afternoon of February 16th, a flight of three Hudson aircraft spotted the Altmark and then circled the ship to get exact identification. This required them to enter Norwegian airspace, but it did allow them to read the name of the ship, the Altmark, and its position was forwarded to the Admiralty at 12.55pm. For the record, the flight of the Hudsons in Norwegian airspace was also a violation of their neutrality, which is kind of all over the place here. This information was then sent to British ships in the area, which moved into a position right along the Norwegian territorial limit, but paralleling the course of the German ship. The captain of the largest ship present, the cruiser Arethusa, flashed a signal to the Altmark to leave territorial waters, which Dow, of course, totally ignored. The Arethusa then sent information to London that he had located the German vessel, and then sent an order to two accompanying destroyers that they should enter Norwegian waters, intercept, and board the German ship. The Arethusa would stay outside of Norwegian territory but continue to cover the destroyers. The two destroyers, the Ivanhoe and the Intrepid, would move in and would fire a warning shot at the Altmark, which did not elicit a response from the Altmark. And so two more shots were fired, which caused the Altmark to begin to slow. Orders from the Admiralty were clear that the British ships were authorized to fire on the Altmark if it refused to stop, but they would hesitate to do so when Norwegian civilian pilots were seen on the bridge. A Norwegian torpedo boat, the Kell, hoisted a protest signal and then positioned itself between the Ivanhoe and the Altmark. As the British and Norwegian ships were kind of getting in each other's way, Dow took the Altmark into the Fjord and moved up the fjord before sending a radio signal to the German embassy in Oslo to explain the situation, and that the Altmark was safely inside the Fjord, but there were British ships hovering outside, with the only thing standing between them and the Altmark were, you know, a few Norwegian torpedo boats. These signals then prompted conversations between the British naval attaché and the Norwegian naval staff around the situation. Maps were brought out and the Norwegians tried to make it clear to the British officer that the Altmark could not leave its current position without entering into international waters at some point. As soon as it did, then the British could attack it. They could do whatever they wanted with it, just not in Norwegian waters. And if it stayed in the fjord for a lengthy period of time, the Norwegians were committed to taking care of the prisoners that were on board. The Norwegians then asked for British assurances that their naval vessels would not enter into Norwegian territorial waters again, which would violate Norwegian neutrality. Meanwhile, the British ships had exited back into international waters, and information had been forwarded to the Admiralty to inform them of the situation 
and to gain further information uh, about what next actions that they should take. The orders that came back were definitive. The destroyer Cossack was to enter the Fjord in Norwegian territorial waters. In this movement, it would ignore any protests by Norwegian warships that were present, under the assumption that none of them would actually fire. A boarding party would be put together, and it would move from the Cossack onto the Altmark with the goal of removing any prisoners from the German ship. Due to the nature of these orders, they were signed off on by none other than Winston Churchill himself, who is at the time the first Lord of the Admiralty. He wasn't the Prime Minister yet. When the order arrived, the captain of the Cossack would order a 45-man boarding party to be assembled, with most of the men actually coming from the cruiser Aurora. These 45 men were broken into four groups that would move to four distinct parts of the German ship to try and get the prisoners out. All of the assembled British ships were informed that the Cossack would be moving forward alone, and then at around 10.45pm the Cossack was back in Norwegian waters. The Cossack was of course signaled by the Norwegian ships that were present, with the answer being that the Cossack was under orders from the British government to liberate the prisoners. The message also included an offer for some Norwegian sailors to accompany the British destroyer and the British boarding party. This officer would be accepted, and at least one Norwegian officer would board the Cossack before it continued on its way. As the Cossack approached the Altmark, the signal was received asking what the name of the ship was that was approaching the German freighter. The only response was the signal asking if the Germans needed assistance and then to hang a ladder over the side of the ship. At 11.58, the Cossack moved close to the Altmark and signaled that if the Altmark tried to do anything, the Cossack would open fire. The Altmark did something, and it began moving, and the two ships almost collided as the Cossack attempted to come alongside to put aboard the boarding party. There had been discussions aboard the Altmark before this moment of how to scuttle the ship, but that action was not taken due to Dow hesitating. With that hesitation probably saving the lives of all the prisoners, which would almost certainly have perished if the German ship was scuttled. Now, even though the ships did not come together easily, the first British sailor aboard the Altmark would literally just jump for it, with Lieutenant Commander Bradwell Turner making a six-foot jump and then helping another sailor, who was not quite as skilled at jumping, also move across. This allowed a rope to be thrown and the two ships were secured together so that most of the rest of the boarding party could quickly move aboard the Altmark and get to work. A very important part of what would happen over the next few minutes were the orders given to the boarding party around the use of deadly force. The captain of the Cossack would later talk about the orders that he gave and what he believed happened on the Altmark over the next several minutes. He would tell the boarding party to quote, Use sufficient force to overcome opposition, but not to fire unless fired at. End quote. And as a safety measure, the magazine cutoffs were closed and the chambers of rifles were not loaded. He would then continue by saying, quote, I believe that the captain of the Altmark did not intend to use firearms. The firing which started on the German side was probably the act of individuals. End quote. So it's unclear as to who fired the first shot. The only thing that is clear is that a firefight developed on the ship as both British and German sailors began to fire at one another. Some of the Germans even lowered themselves off the other side of the ship and made a run for it on the ice that was right up against the ship on that side, but as they moved across the ice they were then fired at by British sailors. This act was witnessed by the Norwegian officer that had accompanied the men of the Cossack, causing him to state that he had agreed to be a witness to an inspection, not a gunfight. 
In total, six Germans would be killed during the fighting, with a seventh dying of his wounds a few days later. Ten others would be wounded. While some of the boarding party was busy shooting at the Germans, another group was quickly searching through the Altmark for the prisoners. They were slowed in these efforts by locked and barricaded doors, but eventually they would find the room with the prisoners, with the exchange that followed being, any Englishmen down there? As a question, with the response being, yes, we're all English. The response was then, at least according to later accounts, come on up then, the Navy's here. All 299 prisoners were quickly moved to the deck of the Altmark and then over to the Cossack. The boarding party also came back aboard, and the Cossack was off and heading back up the fjord. The rest of the German sailors were left aboard the Altmark, and the ship was not damaged in any way by the British as they left the scene. The British ships would then make their way back to Britain, with the message given to all the former prisoners that the sailors of the Royal Navy had, quote, unbounded admiration for their courage, which sustained in their voyages the officers and men of the merchant fleet, and of our heartfelt gladness that those of that service who were on board now should have been released from captivity, end quote. Once they were back ashore, the merchant sailors spent the next bit of time making it very clear to every newspaper man who would listen how amazing the Royal Navy was. There would be a diplomatic fallout that we will discuss here in a moment, but at least initially, the entire operation was a tremendous victory for the British. Not because it was a massive operation. In all honesty, the entire operation meant very little when it came to the overall course of the war. But in a war that had been up to that point... Not exactly successful for the British. (laughs) There hadn't been a lot of British victories. That one, you know, happened so close to home and happened in a way that could so quickly capture the public imagination was a great morale boost. While it may have been good for the pages of British newspapers over the following days, the longer lasting legacy of the Altmark would be around the diplomatic and then military fallout. The first thing to discuss is the fact that the actions of the Cossack were clearly and blatantly a violation of Norwegian neutrality. This fact was not really in any way up for discussion, and instead the British would focus on the idea of whether or not the Altmark should have been allowed to also move through Norwegian waters in the way that it did. The fact that the Altmark had prisoners on board did not necessarily alter its position in terms of its ability to transit neutral waters. And in fact, the British would do similar things throughout the war, so the presence of prisoners didn't really change things. The best that the British could do was claim that the Altmark was abusing Norwegian waters by slowing its movement through the waters so that it could better time its exit back into international waters to make its run for Germany. But there were also some gray areas around what exactly the Altmark should be considered during its time in Norwegian waters. If it was a warship, It was allowed to transit through neutral waters, but its time was very limited, um, around 24 hours or less. And if it was a warship, it had the right to deny the Norwegian request to inspect the contents of the ship. But if it was a commercial vessel, its ability to move through Norwegian waters was a bit more broad, but it could not deny a Norwegian inspection of its contents in which case the Norwegians could have demanded that all the prisoners be released to them, as they could not be on board a civilian merchant vessel. At the end of the day, this was all kind of playing within the gray areas of the Hague Convention that all three nations were signatories of, as it just was not well-defined enough exactly when things could or could not happen and how they applied to the Altmark in this situation, 
and you know how it reacted to prisoners on board a merchant ship. Just a lot of questions. And as is so often the case, the truth, the actual exact ruling on whether or not the British or Germans were at fault in this situation, or even if the Norwegians were at fault because they did not stop the British or they did not stop the Altmark, whatever it may be, the truth, the exact truth, the exact ruling doesn't matter really at all. Instead, what mattered is the fact that the British had so brazenly ignored the Norwegian Navy and that the German crew had given no real resistance to British actions. It just made Germany look bad. And Hitler was not a fan of looking bad. The Altmark incident did not cause the German invasion of Norway, but it did accelerate German planning for their eventual invasion. And if it had not occurred, it's unlikely that the Germans would have been able to launch the invasion before the invasion of France. But the Germans were not the only nation preparing to invade Norway, which is why they were already planning to invade Norway in the first place. And in fact, the British plans to land troops in the neutral country were far more advanced, and they were much closer to becoming a reality. Those plans will be the topic of the next episode.